thinking right now is, what a strange scripture for a baptism, right? Well, um, if you are new or visiting us this Sunday at St. Thomas's Church, uh, what you know, uh, what, uh, what you don't know, is that since um, Ash uh, uh, Wednesday, we call it Repentance Sunday. But since the beginning of a season that Christians call Lent, it's about six weeks that leads up to um, Easter. In which we, uh, and, and, and when I say we, I don't just mean St. Thomas's church, I mean the whole of God's church throughout the entire world, begins to look at why we, why we need a Savior, right? As we build up to Good Friday, the day on which we remember when Christ died for us, the, and, 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 and uh, then of course the following Sunday, the glorious day of Christ's resurrection. Well, what's the point? Why did he have to do these things? Um, and so what we do is we take Lent to remind ourselves of the thing that none of us want to be reminded of, and that's we are sinners. We are sinners. And of course, um, that can mean a host of things, but our Lord God in his great love of us, because he loves us, tells us things that we don't want to hear. And one of those things that, that I don't want to hear, certainly, are the Ten Commandments, right? Now, why is that? Well, what, what the Lord does is he takes these ten uh, rules, if you will, but of course, as we've heard numerous times throughout this sermon series, it's not just about keeping the rules outwardly. It's also about your heart, right? And the last, and the last commandment of the ten sort of swallows up all of them and sums them up when it says this, do not covet. Do not covet. Now, unlike the other nine, you can sort of keep those commandments outwardly without really your heart or your feelings being changed. But the last one, do not covet. Well, I can't control my own heart. I can't control my own feelings. And so what happens is, and this is by way of background, don't worry, we're going to get, get uh, through this. But what happens is, is that the Lord loves us enough to show us an important truth. And we see it in our scripture as well. Is that you see the problem with us is not just controlling our outward actions. Something that we can do, something that we can control. The problem with us is much deeper. It's at a core level and it comes to the area where, frankly, we can't control it. And that's the motivation of our hearts. And so we've looked at all kinds of glorious ones about not worshiping false idols. Uh, we looked at don't be angry, which means do not murder. And then, to, then today we look at one, the seventh commandment, or the eighth rather, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, do not lie. Now, why have I come here? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does an amazing thing. And, and, and our scripture is part of that. And part of the amazing thing is, is he's having a debate, if you will, or he's having a teaching with the Pharisees. Now, if you don't know a Pharisee, what, what, what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee is someone who we would call very, very self-righteous. Okay, their understanding of God was that God was there to give us good advice, give us rules. Right. They would agree that God is here and we are here and, and our sin is in the middle. Right. But what God does is he just tells us he gives us good advice on how we can move from here to here through our actions. 
through our decisions, through our choices. And, and the assumption is, is that, well, God wouldn't have told us these things if we couldn't do them. And isn't that what religion is really all about, right? Our morality, our moral behavior. And, you know, I, Pharisees are the kind of folks who, like, you know, like they're always on time. You know, they're always, you know, they show up early to, to things. They always bring, you know, like a plant, you know, or, or like a bottle of wine to greet you. You know, they're always just really nice people. They always sort of do all the right things. But in their heart, are they bringing you the bottle of wine because they want you to be blessed by it? Well, maybe some of it. But really at the heart of why they're doing good things is they want to be able to look at themselves in the mirror and look at God and say, you see what a good person I am? Let me into your love. And you see what the Pharisees had, had done for generations is they had created these little rules off of the Ten Commandments so they could make sure that they kept them appropriately. Man-made rules to make God happy. Even in its own name, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? And so what they did is over the, uh, the uh, generations is the Pharisees took this, this, uh, co this uh, commandment, do not bear false witness against your, your neighbor. And what they said is, hmm, what does that really mean? What is that? And what they decided that, that it really meant is that when you are testifying at, at their version of a court hearing, that you couldn't lie as long as you were under an oath, right? You've taken an oath. You've sworn by God that if what you're saying is, is not true, that he will strike you down. And at that moment, you have to tell the, tell the truth. But what's the other side of that? What is the inference of that new law? You don't have to tell the truth any other time. You don't have to. And so in short, what has happened is, is these Pharisees have taken a rule. They've taken a law of, of, of God to convict us of the reality of our need for a savior, that we are sinners. I'll get to that in a minute. And they've watered it down with, the, with some intention of how we keep this, this rule. But really what they're doing is they're watering it down so they could follow it. Making exceptions so it would be accomplishable. And in the process, they have destroyed the heart of it. And so what Jesus comes and does, not to heap more burdens on our shoulders, but actually to take them off. Is he brings the Pharisees and he brings us back to the heart of why he gave us these things in the first place. Yes, we'll get to, to this in a minute. Yes, we should strive to not lie. That should be things that Christians do. But more importantly... The hard fact of the law is that we will never or should never bear falsehoods. We should never lie and try to destroy the character of another or protect ourselves. With a few exceptions, we could dive into all kinds of things. We only have maybe 25 five minutes at most. Email me. <laughs> You can defend yourself. You can lie if the Nazis are at the door and you're hiding Jews. That's fine, okay? I can, just, I can hear the emails now. I can hear them coming now. Um, but the heart of it is, is that the, the point of this is not to give us moral assurance. The point of this is to diagnose the real problem with us. 
you know, the more that I kind of saw how this baptism fell on this day, I was really excited because um, I know I don't preach about lying on baptism Sundays, but I do preach about sin. And I think, you know, a lot of us walking through the sermon series, well, you know, I don't really deal with that this much or not as much as this other sin. But I think the one thing that every single person in this room, especially those of us that are parents, know deeply is that we are liars. And our kids are little liars. <laughs> I heard one guy say, um, it's not mine, and I'm sure he probably still looked from someone else too, okay? But, uh, but you know, I heard uh, one of my favorite theologians say, you know, uh, when they were in a debate with someone about uh, the, uh, the person's position was that um, sin is a choice. I have the absolute power to choose to not lie or to choose to lie. It's my choice. And he goes, okay, all right. Who taught you math? Well, Mr. So-and-so in the first grade. Who taught you science? Well, Mr. So-and-so in, in the second grade. Well, who taught you how to lie? Who taught you how to lie? And at that moment, it really broke in. This isn't something that comes from the outside that I had the choice to do or not do. It actually springs up and out of my mouth before I've even thought about it. Now, I'm the king of this. And I'm going to use what might be on its face a seemingly sort of insignificant circumstance. But actually, it diagnoses something quite wrong with me. Just this week. My ever-patient wife said, Hamilton, did you pre-rinse all the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher? Now, there are those of you that know the importance of this, right? And the thing was locked in. It was on already. I'd been really busy this week. There were things I wanted to do. And, of course, I had not pre-washed all the dishes in the dishwasher. And I looked at my wife that I had known since I was 16 years old. She's just as beautiful then, now as she is then. And I told her, well, of course I did. Every last one of them, right? And I prayed for a miracle at that moment to happen <laughs> inside of the dishwasher where every dish would come out sparkling clean and I would be vindicated. That's a small thing, right? That's a, but, but is it? But is it? Because let's look into what was going on in my head there. I had messed up. For those of you that are married and for those of you in any kind of relationship, you know it stopped being about the dishwasher years ago, right? She values that. That's important to, to us. She's asked me to do it numerous times. And I have chosen that what I want is better. My goals are better. What I want for, for me, I love her more. I, I love me more than I love her. It's all about me. And at that moment, when she asked me if I had done this simple thing, and I had not, my head said, Ah, oh, Hamilton, you've blown it again. You've screwed up again. You've communicated to your wife one more time that you don't love her. And if you tell her the truth, she will hate you. 
So what do I do? I lie. Because I don't want to, to look stupid. I don't want to look like, like a failure. I don't want to blow it one more time. All of this is happening in the span of 0.2 seconds in my head. There's no thought in that. This desire for, to, to make myself not a sinner. This desire to where I'll even lie to myself and say that I don't need a savior. I can save myself through my own good actions. Sprung up and I could not even admit to my wife who's so forgiving and so loving that I had blown it one more time. Parents, aren't you amazed when your little precious babies who are so sweet to their siblings, so sweet to animals, look you in the eye. They're even shameless about it. They look you in the eye and they lie. Why? Because they don't want to admit that they've blown it one more time. Why? Because they don't want to admit, just like we do, that we need a Savior because we can't control our own sin. So what does this have to do with baptism? Well, baptism, when we do these services, we have the blessing of going back to the heart of what the Christian faith is really all about. And the heart of the Christian faith is that we can't do it. Even with God's help, we can't live the perfect life that will get us into heaven. So in baptism, we walk through, if you will, through not just words, but through symbols, the good news of a Savior who died for us on the cross. First, he comes, and not by his teaching so we can make ourselves clean, he washes us by his blood on the cross. Every stain of sin, past, present, and future, taken away forever. He adopts us into his family. God the Father, if you will, Jesus is the purchase price for us. And now we're brought into God's family, woven in as Jesus Christ's brother, with the same rights, the same access, and the same love that Jesus receives from the Father, we receive too. The water actually symbolizes God's Holy Spirit, right? We believe in God the Father, God the Son, but also God the Holy Spirit, who's a person. And he comes and lives inside of us in some supernatural way and reforms us from the inside out. And one of my favorite parts of baptism is the fact that we baptize babies. And even when we baptize adults, what we don't do is... Give, a, give adults this yard sale punch bowl full of water and a cup and say, now, now go baptize yourself. No, because we missed the whole point. You see, part of the beauty of what we represent here, what we symbolize here, and what's at the heart of the Christian faith is the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ saved us. Christ reached down and grabbed us and made us his own and washed us clean. And how do we take a hold of this? How do we dive into to this baptism, if you will? Is we simply sit there and do nothing and believe 
that what Jesus has promised is true for us sinners. It's true for us sinners. I had a fantastic conversation with a man who had grown up in, in the church his whole life. Just this week. And we were talking about, you know, are Christians morally better? Or, or I hate it when Christians think that they're morally better than, than everyone else is. And, and, and I said, me too. And we walked through, you know, well, what is a good person, right? What, what is a good person? Well, Jesus defines a good person. And, and the definition is this. The one who perfectly, without fail, without ever ceasing at the fullest power of their heart, loves God and loves their neighbor as themselves. Without one stain of disappointment or anger or resentment. That's what a good person is. And so he drew that line at the top of, of the page. And then I said, you know, there's some here and I'm here. And then there are non-believers that are up here. But none of us can cross that line. And he said, well, then how are we going to be saved? If we can't, if God can't help me cross that line, how can I ever be saved? And I said, I've got good news for you. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came down, grabbed us, lived the perfect life that we could not live, and carried us over the line so we could be his forever. That's what we're symbolizing here today. One of my favorite parts of the passion story in and next week is uh, Palm Sunday, where we walk through the through the last days of uh, Christ's life. Is is the trial of Christ, and and if you know this this story, you know Jesus is literally brought into a trial, and he's asked questions about himself, many of which he does not not answer. He wishes to remain silent, so he will be persecuted. But when he's asked if he is the Son of God, he answers honestly. He answers truthfully, knowing that this will lead to his crucifixion and suffering and death. And in that moment, now it's important for a lot of reasons, but in that moment, one of the most beautiful things is that Jesus, as he is honest and faithful and keeps the eighth, eighth commandment, he keeps it every single time that we have failed. And so he doesn't just rescue us from our sins, but he fulfills the very law that condemns us and therefore nullifies it when it comes to our salvation. Because you see, this man's second question after I told him how Jesus takes us up over the finish line and brings us to where he is. And by his work, we are saved and all that we need to do is just trust that his promises are true, that his cross was enough to cleanse us from our sins. His second question was, was this. Well, how do I stay there? What must I do to stay there? What if I'm up there and I sin again and I fall below that line? Will Jesus keep coming down and getting me? And I said, absolutely every single time. Is, is there a limit? Thank God, no. Why? Because not just by his death on the cross, but but by his work on earth, keeping this and every commandment, the law, it has been satisfied and fulfilled for us sinners. And all that we have to, to do is take hold of that 
by trusting in him. I'm being told it's time to finish up. <laughs> so I'm going to finish up. Two applications. The first one is for, uh, for those of us that believe that we are Christians, that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, seek to follow the Lord, does that mean that we're to just be totally passive and not care about our moral behavior? Well, of course not. Because don't you see, once we stop trying to make ourselves better so God will love us, we're always walking around, I'm always messing up. Yeah, we are. But God's love for you is not determined by your moral success. It's determined by his choice. And he has chosen to love us sinners. And what I want you to do if you struggle with lying like I do, the goal is not just to try harder. The goal is to dive deeply down into this great love of the Savior that loves you while you're at your worst. And once we realize that, it will well up in our hearts and we will begin to stop lying without even trying. Why? Because lying or not lying doesn't save us and doesn't condemn us. And we begin to not lie because we love God and we love our neighbor. Don't, don't you see how that works out? But for others of us in this room, which might be investigating the, the uh, Christian faith, others of us in this room that may have, like this man I talked to, been in church their whole lives and just labored underneath this assumption, this whole thing is to teach us how to be better so God will love us. If that's you, I have good news for you. <coughs> Jesus Christ loves those who cry out to him. He loves all pe people. But his love for us is so great that our behavior can never separate us from him. If you cry out, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, even with the mustard seed of faith, I trust in the promises that I've heard this day through the baptism service. I turn away from my sins. Lord, I want to follow you, but my sinful heart won't let me then take peace. You will belong to the Lord this day. And once you're his, no sin is too, too great to pull you out of his family. No failure is too large where you can never run to his arms and always find welcome. Jesus Christ is not for those who get it morally perfect. It's not for the Pharisees. Jesus Christ is for those of us who, like me, need his forgiveness and his love every day. And he invites you in this space to receive that gift. And this is good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.